Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Welcome to another episode of Apocalypse Radio. We're your hosts, the Undead Red and the Wolfman. And we're bringing you another episode of the Horror Vanguard. Today's show is titled Sonic Sepulchral Solidarity. <laughs> uh, John, my dear, 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 dear co-host, how are you doing today? I I am very good. I have I have not been in work today, which is great. Um I discovered what I think is maybe my new favorite zombie infection zombie infection slash madness film um feeling good feeling feeling excited feeling excited to talk about this it's a good film to be excited about it's a difficult it's going to be a very hard film to talk about though (laughs) uh indeed for obvious reasons if you've seen the film uh how are you doing how are you doing today um, I'm I'm doing really good. I've been listening to my obscure Canadian radio programs, getting ready for getting ready for the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I this is one of the things that I've always found interesting about Canada and America is like the shock jock uh radio DJ and like even like tiny little local stations will still have like the the, the morning guy who's there to like push everybody's buttons and get everybody <laughs> kind of like it's it's yep. amazing. It's amazing. It's a, it's a time it's a time honored tradition that goes back to the to the uh, founding fathers. Yeah. <laughs> when when Mad Cow in the morning signed the Declaration of Independence, that's when America broke free. <laughs> um, I I I as a credulous rube of a Brit, I obviously completely believe you. Whenever you tell me horrendous lies about American history. <laughs> Because oh, anyone British just goes, yeah, sounds about right. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure, sure, I'm sure you did that. <laughs> so, so do, you, do you want to tell us about today's cinematic selection? Uh, today we are talking about 2008's small budget Canadian film, Ponzi Pool. Uh, set in uh, a rural part of Ontario, there is a... Uh, there is it's the local radio station has just hired their new kind of star get um Grant Mazzy uh who is like a talking head he's a he's a he's a kind of uh I don't know I don't know enough about this kind of thing but he's like the stereotypical american shock jock um and some very he's deeply frustrated to be working at these little this little rinky dink station where the big thing is like the obituary section and are the local schools closed this morning and there's there's uh ken the the traffic guy up there in the sunshine copter which is an amazing (laughs) reveal later in the film which is maybe my favorite bit um but as as the show goes on, it turns out there are some very strange things happening around Pontypool, um, and and yeah, shit gets weird. Shit gets weird real quick and really in in very interesting ways. We, oui. uh, oui. uh <laughs> Where where would you where would you like to start? Where would you like to start talking about Pontypool? I mean, given given the text of the film, I don't think I would want to be talking about Pontypool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh 
yeah, yeah. Pente pour décrire l'état naturel de l'horreur d'être connu. So I, I think like you really can't speak in English about Pontypool and all of my non-English languages are just atrocious. Franglais, <laughs> uh, as they call that. Yeah, yo, okay, ouch. <laughs> uh, so the, the, we're dealing with what is a pretty well-established trope in horror, which is the um, infection or viral madness kind of pandemic right and it's an infection film yeah yeah rather yeah than this a is, kind of strict zombie film i mean if it, it, it's, it's part of our pandemic series it is it is a contagion but there's there's an interesting twist and we've been kind of dancing around what sets pontypool apart from other zombie films and would you would you like to let people know the the unique bit about the film well the infection is not is not um is communicated in one very specific way the infection is communicated through words it's communicated through language um and by hearing and understanding certain infected words in english you um you become you start by obsessively repeating it and then you become increasingly violent as you seek out um and another voice to respond to um so it's not it's language that is the communicable medium by which infection travels which i think is what makes this so really interesting yes and it's it's specifically understanding the english language that that transmits it because they there there's this just this great scene where uh one of our characters gets infected and starts repeating the word kill and starts obsessing over it and the, and the other character kind of convinces her that kill and kiss have interchangeable meanings. And that, and that breaks down the, the viral infection that acts like a sort of cure. So I think this raises, this raises like two sets of really interesting questions. And maybe we can, obviously these are shorter episodes, so maybe we can kind of briefly touch on both of these discourses before we finish. And they're, so the immediate one, which I think is the one that you were talking about as we were preparing for this episode, is like the politics of this. And for me, the thing that's really interesting about this is like the the linguistics and philosophy of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, so maybe we should talk about maybe we should talk about the politics of it first. So what do you think about th- this kind of politically as certain words in English being infectious? So there is there's so much I want to say about this. But I think because it's a it's a shorter pandemic episode, I'm going to confine it to. I think there's a really good like anti-colonialist reading of this movie, right? Because mm. it's it's shot in North America, and and what is kind of the agent of of the virus that destroys everyone? It's it's speaking and understanding the English language, a language that that by all accounts, an incredibly few number of people would be speaking if it wasn't for colonialism. You know, like mm-hmm. colonialism was was the agent that if you if you'll kind of use the film's parlance infected the world with the English language and mm. it's that understanding of the English language that that kind of decimates and undermines indigenous cultures no matter where you are in in the world you know and it's interesting right that this is this is set in um in Canada and so when news stories first get out it's reported on by who else? The BBC World Service, mm-hmm. and their 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 question is: um, is is this 
la uh, la Quebecois, the, the the French separatist movement in in Quebec, um, and that's a really telling jump, right? So, a a virus which is you know no, violence of people. It, well, it can't be, it can't be. It must be the French. It must be the <laughs> French that are behind this, um, which is, is very much something that the BBC would do. Uh, but I think that that definitely reinforces what you what you're talking about with this kind of anti-colonialist reading of the film. Yeah, yeah, I think there, I think I think it is a strong current in the film because non-English languages are immune, and we get a lot of scenes where characters who are multilingual or who don't speak English are not affected by by this. Mm-hmm. Right there, there, there's a scene where they find a note, uh, a transmission has come through from the outside world, and it's in French, and the. Um, the note says something to the effect of like, okay, like here's here's what's going on in the world. By the way, don't translate this into English. Yeah, that's that's how it ends. That's how the so um Mazzy is on the air and they are their broadcast is interrupted by a message delivered in French, which is ostensibly from I think it's the military police. Mm-hmm. Um and the message ends with do not translate this message. But of course, it's immediately translated <laughs> when they try and then they broadcast it out uh, over the airwaves. Yeah, yeah. And there's um there's a character named Dr. Mendez who speaks Armenian. And, and yep. you know, by speaking Armenian, he's able to communicate without having to deal with this infectious uh, language. So I, I, I sent you a message about this. Um, so we have Dr. Mendez, Armenian speaker from, from Eastern Europe um is a doctor is very interested in the philosophy and transmission of language and ideas um in my head dr mendez is basically a stand-in for slavo zizek (laughs) (laughs) i I could i could totally see it it would have been really hard to cash zizek in anything so yeah totally (laughs) because there's a moment there's a moment where they're observing what's going on and Dr. Mendez is kind of giving this clinical breakdown of what's happening to someone who's become infected. And they start getting very violent. It's pretty, it's pretty intense for a, for a film that, that with, with like, that was clearly made for about $7. They do an incredible job. Um, and um, Mendez goes, it's, there's a very Zizekian moment where he goes, yes, this is monstrous. Of course, of course, of course. But also, <laughs> it, this is really interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is so Zizek. Um, so, uh, that's in it as well. Okay. Um, um here's a real question. So yeah. it, was, it took Zizek about a week and a half to write his COVID-19 book from, <laughs> from the start of a Pontypool style, uh, conversationalist, uh, viral outbreak. How long until Zizek writes the novel about it? <laughs> Oh, like he's already got like an an eight thousand word draft blog <laughs> ready to go up at like a philosophical blog somewhere that's or or Russia Today. He's already kind of tapping away. So does Zizek then have like a vision where he sees all possible realities and he's just got essays ready to drop on on each one of them? He he just has to wait I a mean, few days so people don't find out he has a superpower. I mean, uh, I think he's just kind of chained to a desk in Verso Books' office uh, <laughs> and is, like, just fed stimulants until he keeps cranking out words. 
Oh, poor poor Zizek. Either that or I know. he heavily I know. he's 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 gotten into a bad habit of heavily recycling a lot of his older work and, and repackaging yeah, I it mean, for whatever is the keyword of the day. I am not surprised by that in the slightest. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just that's just one of the many ways that Slavo Žižek is just like every other academic. <laughs> yeah, I've never delivered this conference paper before, he says, for the sixth time. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, I think there is absolutely a, a anti-colonialist reading of this, um, seeing English language as not just um, a means of control, but actually a kind of infectious symptom of something um i think is a really interesting way of reading it and that brings us on to maybe talking a little bit about the uh kind of philosophies of language at play in this which i think are really interesting this is the first horror movie in a while that actively uh quotes um structuralist french philosopher roland Barthes <laughs> about the nature of language which i think is 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 genuinely fascinating and there's some interesting word choices in how they kind of pair things up um where there's a there's a there's a triptych that one character ends up kind of moving between which is sample symptom and symbol and i'm like those are three very like I'm, i know i'm getting very psychoanalytic here this is this is all real Lacan hours, but like that's a really interesting Lacanian triangle that's being constructed here. The sample, the symbol, and the symptom. So there are some interesting things happening with like uh language and the self. What what does it mean to because they specifically say it isn't enough just to hear the word, you have to understand it, right? You have to kind of take it on. I guess I, I guess I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but what do you what do you think about the kind of language as a means of infection? I I think this is one of the film's most kind of potent critical angles, right? You know, we we tend to take like the raw material of language for granted, but language is a fluid system that's hard to pin down and you know when you're when you're at the base level, you can be really pedantic and be like, oh that's not that's not the dictionary definition and proper use of that word. But but the second you actually start studying language and looking into how it works, it just becomes this giant, sloppy, incomprehensible mess. And the, yeah, the absolutely. film does a really good job of of portraying how that operates and how strange language can especially the post-credits scene. Yeah. So there's this Which, um, Oh, go on. No, go on, yeah. No, 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 <clears throat> go on. You should talk about the post-credit scene. <laughs> I was just, there's a post-credit scene where we find out that our two of our characters, Sydney and Grant, have survived the virus. And they've survived the virus by continuing to speak English, but constantly doing it as an improvisational kind of role play. That That the English language no longer means anything that we could understand it as meaning for them for them it is just this fluid system of constantly changing reference that for them it works because they've been able to survive but they've kind of taken the english language and washed away all of the context and all of the meaning so that they can speak in a way that the virus can't propagate through this is really interesting because this brings up like maybe the most um striking thing to me which is how this film talks about language games so the, like so this is this is uh wittgenstein's philosophical investigations right so the term uh the word water 
could either be the answer to a question uh, or a request or or it could be a question depending upon the rules of the language game that you're currently playing and a lot of that is materially and socially constituted right language uh, is language because language is social language is shared so if you reconceptualize the rules of the game that you're playing and you do it constantly it's a way of basically immunizing yourself against this infectious uh vocabulary yeah yeah i I think that i think that is a really good reading of language in pontypool and i think that that even ties back to like the the kind of like anti-colonialist strand in this movie right it's 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 about questioning not just why are we speaking these particular languages but what are the languages doing here like what is the agency Mm. of the language what is its action yes absolutely uh because this is like you know like you said if you wanted to be pedantic about it that's that's fine but language is not a closed system right it only works because what's important is what is language doing and i think this is this is why language and ideology are so closely related because if you have a particular language that doesn't just shape your interior kind of thoughts or your interior perceptions of the world but it affects your social relations as well yeah absolutely and one of one of the interesting things so like when i was getting ready for this episode i was looking for other people who've done like like post-colonial analysis of the film and i only found one other person there was a blog called the film smith that was talking about it in the context of colonialism and mm. and the blog only talked about canada as an english and french speaking country when 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 you zoom that picture out a little bit more like dude there's an entire indigenous population the first nations uh, uh, peoples of canada like there, there's an entire linguistic landscape that's just not even being acknowledged in this conversation that's just been totally mowed over with two european colonial tongues um yeah absolutely and i think um this is why you made a really good point before we were talking about this, which is that multilingualism is a practical expression of internationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that not only is it a kind of act of political solidarity, but it's also a way of kind of changing the way that you look at the world. It, it yeah. will allow, it will allow you to see things from a multiplicity of different points of view, as well as, you know, form connections and, new networks and relationships of resistance and political action that would have been completely impossible for you and it does it does a lot of sorry go on oh okay i was gonna say it does a lot of really interesting things where like one one of the kind of conditions presented by this movie is that monolingual like a, a reality that is only monolingual necessarily lends itself to dangerous and violent miscommunication and we we can yeah. we can like even if we we just go back to our uh, our last book club episode on Mark Stevens' Splatter Capital, there there was a whole section we talked about where um, Mark Steven compares the original German of Marx's writing to some of the later English translations and how the later English translations alter and change some of the gorier language to mm. to shift it around right and like. As, as we do that, as we attempt to kind of like funnel everything into this like monolinguistic uh, world, 
we we have to strip things of meaning, right? And and that will necessarily cause conflict that the the people with their original text spoken in their original language didn't always intend. Um, yeah, absolutely. And this brings up one of my favorite lines in the film, which is where uh, Doctor Mendes says, "Talking is very risky. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like t- talking is talking is high risk because there is so much potential." for miscommunication to happen and the and our own inability like this is i I find this really interesting because like in many ways we think that we can reach out to other people almost instinctively language is it's kind of essential to us it's bound up with 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 us it is to us as water is to fish we kind of move through language very seamlessly but language is also very like fickle and very difficult to kind of pin down and miscommunication and and danger is always present in in language because you can never be absolutely sure that your precise meaning is being one expressed and two heard and understood yeah yeah and I, I think that's a great reading of this film and that line was so good so good and that that is the huge threat right like um i was i haven't read though there's a pontypool trilogy of books and i haven't read them but i was looking into them to get ready for the episode and in in the books like the the contagion works by first breaking down your ability to understand english and then it, it kind of drives you to this violence because you still have this urge to communicate but now your mm. main communicative tool is lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, you're, you're definitely right. Like there is, there is an inherent danger in miscommunication. But that's also something we have to be aware of because if we, I, again, you know, I'm not, I don't, I, I, I think I, uh, all I'm trying to say here is that like, we maybe don't appreciate that language is both, part of us and is also something you have to be incredibly careful and responsible with because uh as dr Mendes says talking is risky it's very dangerous and not because you might um uh, uh you know attract a, a a horde of infected to come and to come and try and eat you but merely because like meaning is something that is never finally fixed and determined, right? Language is not simply reference which map neatly onto the world. Language is both part of the world and helps us to constitute our understanding of it. And if we do not use it carefully and and thoughtfully, we end up with a world that is um, extremely uh, easy to, to to divide from one another. You know, we cut ourselves off from one another. Um so yeah, I, I I thought that this this was a really kind of thought provoking film, really challenging. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. This this movie is is incredibly deep. <laughs> and as far as zombie movies go, I mean, like this might this might be one of my favorite zombie movies now. Maybe maybe the top one. Yep, yeah, I think so. I think so. I know there were a few people who have been telling us that we should watch it, um, and they were completely correct we we really should have done i think we could talk for a lot longer about this we could we could i was like reading up on like structuralist theories of language (laughs) and like marxist linguistics before this um but i'm gonna keep it all in check 
um, and just say this is really, really good. Uh, Ash, any final thoughts? Uh, um, no, that's about it. I, I really, I think this movie's fantastic, and we definitely, I have the sneaking suspicion that if we ever come back and revisit one of these mini episodes, it's probably going to be this one. If only because, uh, there are many reasons, but if only because I really, really want you to write a plot summary of this. <laughs> I really, I, I really want that to happen. And speak it in my like a horrible accent, French. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't torture our listeners that badly, but I would love to write a plot summary of this one. This movie is phenomenally good. More people, more people need to see it. It needs a Blu-ray release. I am so shocked so few people have seen it. Um, if you would be interested in hearing us talk longer about this, please do let us know. Well, I think that that's a, this has been a good conversation for our mini episode on Pontypool. And I wanted to thank everyone for taking a moment to listen and let you know that we will be taking a little break from our pandemic mini series. As the, as the pandemic indefinitely spirals into a future where only class solidarity can save us, uh, we, we are going to be putting down the pandemic series for just a little bit, but we do have a few mini series surprises in store. Yeah, we didn't want to, we didn't want to run out of things to say. Um, and as this kind of goes on, we wanted to maybe give people a break as well. We are, Ash and I were talking about this before we started recording. We're working on some, some really cool, exciting things, which will fill the space of the mini episodes. The mini episodes are not going to go away forever we're going to bring them back when we've got some cool things to say and some fun things to try to try out but yeah they've been they've been fun they've been really interesting and i know people have really enjoyed uh what we've done with these pandemic mini episodes and we have we have one more coming one more mini uh pandemic episode coming next week and it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be a good time <laughs> i'm just saying we're going out on a high we're getting, so this is our second to last one the next mini episode will be the last one and it's one that ash has chosen and it is spectacular in every way i mean we we are going out on a high uh one one might say we're flying high with this next one. Oh, i can't wait i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for listening everyone and we will see you later this week for your full length episode oh stay spooky <laughs>